Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. In today's special episode, we sat down with Frank Gaffney, executive chairman for the Center for Security Policy. He's one of the authors who released this report titled The CCP is at War with America. It touches on the pandemic and goes beyond that. Let's dive in. Frank, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. The pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me. So I want to begin with your background a little bit. So you were the Assistant Secretary of Defense during the Reagan administration, and you're also the former chair of NATO's high-level group, which deals with nuclear power. And so you come with a lot of defense background, and you recently helped write this report titled The CCP is at War with America. So to begin, Frank, can you explain the title? We're aimed at focusing Americans' attention and that, for that matter, others, uh, on a reality that uh, an awful lot of folks still don't understand. And that is that the Chinese Communist Party has basically, since it came to power, had its sights set on destroying America in the interest of achieving its objectives, which are global domination, as you and your audience know very well. Um, a lot of people find that hard to believe. Um, they certainly have not paid attention to the abundant evidence that China's been engaged in uh, what it calls unrestricted warfare against us, to this point, uh, mostly of the non-kinetic kind, but that among the techniques that it has identified in a book of that name, Unrestricted Warfare, by two senior PLA colonels, is biological warfare. And the book is focused on what we have learned about the Chinese illegal biological warfare program, its objectives, its progress, and its use. And that gives rise to this conclusion. The CCP is at war with America. And Frank, you mentioned how on the surface, some may argue that America sees China as a competitor rather than an adversary. But you mentioned you and your team have an abundance of evidence that proves otherwise. So give us some examples of that evidence. Well, the impetus behind this study was um, to try to provide a second opinion on the Director of National Intelligence assessment of September 2021, in which there was kind of a big shrug out of the intelligence community as to whether the, the origin of the virus known as SARS-CoV-2 was natural occurring or was produced by a laboratory. And what we found was there was zero evidence that it came from nature. And there is abundant, albeit circumstantial, evidence that it came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, a biological warfare uh, level four lab in the heart of Wuhan. So what we've really come up with is uh, evidence in terms of the genetic structure, in terms of the lengths the Chinese have gone to conceal information about this virus, uh, the degree to which um, the Chinese most especially set about 
at the very moment that they were trying to contain the movement of people from Wuhan anywhere in China, they nonetheless were facilitating the movement of those people uh, internationally, including to the United States. Uh, in fact, I was told today that there is some evidence that uh, the Chinese government was paying for people from Wuhan to go visit their families in the United States during this window when the virus was uh, first being discovered and addressed. And Frank, earlier you mentioned the term unrestricted warfare and how one of the main ones of the CCP is biowarfare. So how does that tie into the pandemic? Well, in our book, uh, and people can find it at ccpatwar.com, we talk not only about the current pandemic, but about the history of China's interest in biological warfare. And this is all the more important because, of course, the Chinese are by treaty not supposed to have a biological warfare program, let alone one that is as active, as uh, ambitious, and as aggressive as the one we've now been exposed to uh, in the worst sense of the word. And what I think we've discovered about this is that the Chinese Communist Party has, going back to Deng Xiaoping's general secretaryship of the CCP, had as the purpose of their biological warfare activities um, being able to depopulate the United States and colonize it with Chinese. Now, this sounds over the top or even unbelievable, but we have this from a secret speech that was given about 20 years ago by the then defense minister of China by the name of Qi Hao Chen, not in public, but to uh, a secret uh, party cadre meeting. And in that, he was very explicit that the purpose of this is offensive in character and its target is the United States. And as I say, um, its ambition is to preserve the infrastructure of our country, but get rid of the people so that the Chinese can take it over. And um, what's interesting is that what we discovered in recent Chinese writings, in military journals and scientific publications, open source, are people in the Chinese biological warfare program talking about the work they're doing, including work aimed at trying to gen genetically engineer the ability of these diseases that they're cooking up to attack certain ethnicities or nationalities or, you know, uh, geographic areas, perhaps, in their populations. So uh, it remains to be seen whether they can do that. Uh, there's some skepticism on our side, certainly at the moment, but the fact that they're pursuing it and they're talking about the utility and value of biological warfare is something we ignore at our extreme peril, especially against the backdrop that a million of us have been killed by a biological warfare attack that they've already watched. 
And expanding on that a bit, Frank, it seems right now big in the headlines is the Russian war in Ukraine and the Taiwan question about whether Beijing will do the same in regards to Taiwan. And it's interesting that the report notes that China is pushing the Taiwan issue while hiding the real issue underneath it, which is America, and that their ultimate goal is to defeat America. So given all this, that it seems the U.S. and allies' attention is elsewhere, how can the American public really balance that and know what the ultimate problem is? It's a very good question. I think what we need to do is go back to that speech by then Defense Minister Chi Hao Chen, in which he very explicitly said, there's a lot of talk about Taiwan, but the real target of our operations and, and warfighting strategy is the United States. And what I think we have been confronting is certainly evidence that the Chinese are deadly serious about having their way with Taiwan. But what's less obvious, but no less important, is to understand that they realize that whatever they're going to do vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan, or for that matter, anything else in the Western Pacific, they're going to have to neutralize the United States. So what I think Americans need to be thinking about is, based on reports like this one, again, available at ccpatwar.com, is the evidence continues to accrue that the Chinese are determined, whether it's through non-kinetic warfare means or kinetic ones or some combination of the two, including biological warfare, to prevent this country from continuing to represent a challenge to its ambitions and thereby to essentially defeat, destroy um, the country and its people. And that ought to concentrate the minds of all of us because um, as again, Tucker said last night, um, they will not be kind masters in the event they succeed in taking over the world. But in the process, a lot of us are going to be killed. No doubt about that. And Frank, any last words you'd like to add? Yeah, I think this is the critical takeaway from all of it. Um, we believe that what is going on is of such importance that it really needs to become one of the foremost issues in the 2022 elections. And one of the things we hope to do with this um, Team B report is to brief as many candidates for elective office as we can so that all of them at least have an understanding of what we're up against. And hopefully we'll be willing to commit to taking action, if elected, to counter this terrible threat from China and assure the future security of our country and people. So this is uh, the vital uh, place where people who want to know what can they do can be very helpful. Frank, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. My pleasure, as always. Thank you. That was Frank Gaffney, Executive Chairman at the Center for Security Policy. And joining us after the break, Rafael Fontana, 
Brazilian journalist and author of Chernobyl, a journey through the guts of communist dictatorship. He shares what it was like working for the media in China and breaks down what makes Brazil strategically important to the U.S., why Washington doesn't seem to care, and how Beijing is using that against the West. That's coming up after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Joining us now, Rafael Fontana, Brazilian journalist and author of Chernobyl, a journey through the guts of communist dictatorship. He shares what it was like working for the media in China and breaks down what makes Brazil strategically important to the U.S., why Washington doesn't seem to care, and how Beijing is using that against the West. Let's dive in. Rafael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a great pleasure to be here. So, Rafael, you have a book out right now. It's only in Portuguese, but I understand it's being translated into English. So it's called Chernobyl, A Journey Through the Guts of Communist Dictatorship. So to begin, Rafael, can you tell us about your book and your story? I lived in China from 2015 to 2018. After my experience there living inside uh, the inside the party, because I was working for the media. And as you know, it's the state-owned media. I work for CRI, which is the China Radio International. Now it's part of the China Media Group. It's the biggest conglomerate of media in Asia now. It's huge. And it's all controlled by the Communist Party. I was there watching everything that was happening. I worked in the 19th Congress of the Communist Party in 2017, when I was living in Beijing. After two years working inside the CCP media, then I came back to Brazil, I worked for Huawei, then I wrote a book after that. And that's now my relationship with the Chinese diplomats are not so good anymore. But in my, my book, I tell everything about this experience. Firstly, I worked as a lecturer in the University of Hebei in the city of Shijiazhuang, in the provinces of uh, Hebei which is uh, surrounding, surrounding Beijing. After that, I moved to Beijing and I worked as a journalist. And so I can tell all the stories from the beginning until uh, when I was working as a director for Huawei in Brazil. So speaking of Huawei, it seems right now Brazil and Huawei just signed a big deal. Well, that's kind of in contrast to the U.S. and allies, where a lot of countries have banned any deals with Huawei. So what insights can you give us about why Brazil is doing this? Okay, that's right. It's very important. Uh, just a few months after my return from China, I was hired by Huawei uh, in 2019 as public relations director in Brazil, in the capital, Brasilia when I was interviewed by the vice president of the communications in Brazil, I realized that he was a member of the CCP. A few days later, I attended a meeting in Sao Paulo, and all the top exec executives in the office were members of the party. After a while, I traveled to the headquarters of Huawei in China, in the city of Shenzhen. 
there was no surprise. All the top positions in the company are occupied by the CCP members. And of course, the CEO, Brendan Faith, is himself a member of the party. Now, uh, we can think of something here. If all the members of Huawei, the top executives, are members of the CCP, who is controlling the company? I think you have the answer. And so, Rafael, since you worked as a part of Huawei in a way in Brazil, what insights and examples can you give us of how widespread it is in the country? Okay, this is, uh, I'm glad you asked that. The, uh, the directors of Huawei attended a last call meeting inside the Brasilia office in March 2020. It was the beginning of the pandemic. I was one of them, and I tell this story in my book, Chernobyl. Uh, then we've heard from the mouth of the VP, who was a member of the CCP, that we need to find ways to retaliate Brazil. Listen, a company doesn't retaliate a country, only a nation retaliates another nation. So it became clear that Huawei in Brazil was following the CCP commands. Just a few months la later, uh, the Brazilian government was blackmailed by the Chinese regime. Uh, if Brazil didn't allow Huawei to build the 5G infrastructure inside the country, Ch China wouldn't sell coronavirus vaccines to Brazil. So, retaliation, blackmail, 5G, well, I think everyone can understand what was happening that time. So you mentioned how Huawei was kind of blackmailing or in a way repatriating this country, which doesn't work with a company, right? So what other examples are we seeing on the world stage where that could be playing out? Okay, we, we can see what's happening now with Taiwan. China is committed to an unrestricted warfare in different continents. Uh, the People's Liberation Army developed important skills of asymmetrical and hybrid warfare. As a result, a result we can uh, see now the isolation of Taiwan. Nowadays, only 14 countries in the world maintain diplomatic relations with Taiwan. Taiwan is a fierce warrior, but needs support from other countries. We cannot be such a coward friend with the Taiwanese people. Uh, they are fighting alone against an opponent that's in fact causing a lot of problems, not only in Taiwan, but in the whole world. And Rafael, you mentioned how China has isolated Taiwan on the world stage and has kind of infiltrated, if you will, Brazil through Huawei and other means. So what can you tell us about the kind of influence that China has in Brazil? Well, China's influence in Brazil is growing fast, and this influence should worry the United States. Firstly, Brazil will hold election this October, and China is compromised to interfere in the election results in order to elect someone close to the Beijing agenda. Secondly, Brazil is the largest economy in Latin America. Brazil has uh, alone more than half of the South America combined GDP. It's the greatest USA ally in the hemisphere. So Brazil is important for both trade and business. Now, uh, the third point, there is a military situation also. Uh, in Latin America, Brazil possesses the largest coastline in the Atlantic Ocean. It's strategic for military reasons. 
Another point is uh, drug cartels, as I told you before, are growing again, and this is bringing worries to the U.S. citizens. Chile, Argentina, Bolivia, Venezuela, and now Colombia are taken by the CCP. Brazil is the last patient in the region to help the U.S. to keep both the communism and drug cartels out of America. And Rafael, oh. any last words you'd like to add? Tiffany, I hope my book would be uh, translated into English, Spanish, Mandarin, so uh, more people in the world can understand what's happening inside China now. They can understand what will happen in the 20th Congress of the Communist Party that will take place this October. Xi Jinping will be the leader forever or not? What about the Chernobyl inside China? How is China going to implode itself? So I hope the book can be translated and people can understand what I'm talking about. Rafael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thank you. That was Rafael Fontana, Brazilian journalist and author of Chernobyl, A Journey Through the Guts of Communist Dictatorship. And in the first half, we heard from Frank Gaffney, executive chairman at the Center for Security Policy. Thanks for watching China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer, and see you soon.